Well, good morning, everyone. There we go. I can thank God for my family gathered here this morning. Thank you guys for mustering the courage to, uh, to leave your habitations and your security and, and join us. Over the last six, I came down to Mitchell and drove by your house and honked the horn a couple of times, but I didn't have your number, but uh, your place is beautiful. By the way, you guys have, have done such a great, great job on that property. It is amazing. Anyway, all that to say, there's a lot of things I would like to share with every one of you and just catch up. We're going to observe some pretty strict protocols. Some of you know that uh, our West Campus is not meeting today because of just um, some issues they've had there with, with health and some, some contamination. So we are going to do our best to be able to meet next week. And at this point in time, it's a week by week goal for me. You know, we, if we do good this week, we can meet next week. So just promise me that you'll, you'll do as be, uh, the best job you can to, 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 keep, uh, to keep the whole thing safe. Now, if you get sick, no one's blaming or judging. We're all in this together. We're gonna pray for you and, and I'm, my assumption is you'll be fine. But, uh, but yeah, we, we wanna do what we can to keep things going. We're in the middle of a series. Um, and I've gone through this series, this sermon, 1,800 times. In fact, I was here yesterday filling in the last bit of the, of the PowerPoint presentation. Normally, Roger would cover that, or Tim Bedwell up at East would cover that, but, um, but I've been very particular about this one as it's been you know, 16 weeks since we've been able to gather. It's like, we gotta get this right. So even yesterday morning, I'm like, no, cut that. No, that's stupid, I hate that. Let's do it at the last minute. Roger says, if you wait any longer, you're gonna, you're gonna have to input it all yourself. And so that's what I did. And I spent three hours working that system back there. So if there's glitches or misspellings, it is not on their part. It's all on me. And you can, you can write a little note and let me know afterwards. So we're in the middle of this series, just the right words. We're in Psalm 103. We've been going through the Psalms. And what I've noticed as we've been going through these Psalms is that each day that we preach on a particular one, it seems to really resonate with something that's going on in my own head. God has really been very timely about how we have, you know, we planned this series months ago. And then when all this happened and we see them sort of just lay out, it's been, to me, it's just been a, just been a picture of how, um, how wise God is. Even, uh, you know, six months prior, he knows what we're gonna be going through and he has prepared it in advance. So uh, last week, Sean preached up at East and maybe you guys gotta watch the message, but he started this, this sermon with a story about walking in the mountains. Anytime anyone talks about hiking in the mountains, I start to feel sort of self-conscious. My hiking involves walking around the square. <laughs> And anything more than that, I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. I had to go back to when I was in high school. My dad, and we lived in Germany at the time, and uh, we would vacation at this little place in Switzerland. When you tell people that your family used to vacation in Switzerland, it sounds really cool. But it was about as close as... Boggs Creek from where we lived. So it wasn't that big a deal, but it was in the middle of the mountains. And we would go down there and I loved being in the middle of the Alps. Just loved it. And I remember that one year, I was probably a junior in high school. I got me a little harmonica. I didn't have any later hose and I wish I had because that would really complete the picture. But I had my little harmonica and I had my little knapsack and I took off on a hike. I was real skinny back then and I could hike for 12 minutes without even, even losing my breath. <laughs> 
So I'm in the mountains, and you know, you're 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 hiking in these unfamiliar paths, and you're watching, and you're you know looking out for roots and and uh, stones you can trip over. And at one point in time, I looked up and realized that I had no idea where I was. I I had been so focused on the the path that I had not been paying attention to the other sort of landmarks around me that would help me sort of find my, my way back. So this psalm to me is one of those um, perspective psalms. Uh, I think David gives us this because there are seasons in our lives where we need to look up from the path and look around and get perspective. Perspective is just observing what's around us and making sense of it in light of what we know. It involves looking back where we've been. It involves looking ahead to where we're going. It involves looking to either side of us. And sometimes, as this past, you know, these past 15 weeks have, have taught me, it involves a little introspection where you look inside as well. For the Christian perspective is the ability to see what God is doing all around us. And especially when we're going through seasons where it can be a struggle Um, and we're susceptible to getting confused and lost, Um, it is super important that we keep our perspective. So I want to have you guys do this. Kids, you can do this with us as well if you're readers. We're going to read through Psalm 103. It's a long one. It's a long one. So it's going to take up the bulk of our time. Uh, I'm not nearly as engaging as that girl. Um, But I'll do my best. So we're going to read through this, Psalm 103. It's a psalm of David. That will matter at some point today. Uh, so verse 1 says this, and you can, you can say it with me, guys. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. Have you guys ever tried to satisfy your desires yourself and it's led to bad things? (laughs) I love that God satisfies our desires and they're good things and and it results in our youth being renewed like the eagles. Okay, detour, we'll get back to it. Verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Another detour. So when Moses is receiving the commandments from the Lord there on Mount Sinai, the Lord reveals himself to him. And and this next verse is what the Lord reveals about himself. In Exodus, it says, the Lord, the Lord, and God talking about himself. The Lord, the Lord. Here's what David says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Can I get an amen? Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. We have a God who knows. <laughs> he knows that, yeah, we're not all we could be. 
The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children and with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Sometimes here at church, we'll sing at the end of the service a little song called the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And here David uh, provides his own doxology. And as you'll see, it's remarkably similar to the one that we sing. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly host, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. And then David reminds himself one more time, in the midst of everything, praise the Lord, my soul. Shauna alluded to this in the worship time, but over these last um, several weeks, uh, I've just ran the gamut of stuff. Um, and, and in the attempt to get perspective on what was going on, I've looked back. I've wondered if anything like this has ever happened. Is there something that we can learn from the past to help us make sense of the present? I've looked forward, mostly impatiently, and wondered how soon it would take to get things back to some semblance of normality. I've looked around. I've been frustrated. I've gotten angry. I've gotten irritated. I've been impatient with people and circumstances, and unfortunately, a lot of times my responses have, uh, have mirrored my feelings. Um, I've looked inward during this season and uh, wrestled with some of my own issues. And as Heather and I were talking about having the kids in the service, um, it reminded me of someone else that was sort of going through the same stuff. So you know who we're going to be talking about, you think. You may think we're going to be talking about Ruth. Um, and we are going to go to the book of Ruth. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. But we're going to be looking at Naomi. And uh, we were introduced to Naomi there. Naomi was sad because life had been hard to her. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, you know that there are um, so many similarities with Ruth and, and Hallmark movies. Um, the only thing missing from Ruth is the, uh, the, the handsome guy in the suit and tie and the handsome guy in the cowboy hat. Um, those the, that's the difference. Otherwise, it's a Hallmark movie. Um, it's, there's, a, there's an element of romance in there. But um, to me, this story is less about romance and more about real estate. We have some families in our church who, who deal in real estate. I find real estate pretty romantic. Um, but this is, this, Ruth is really a story of uh, archaic, ancient rules about property and how God divided the land when he gave it to them, when they conquered it, and how it was dispersed amongst the people. And Ruth is a story about how God... Um, Despite, despite all that breaking apart in Naomi's life, um, God bringing and pulling that back together. There's this idea of redemption in this story. And in our story uh, and in our thinking today, redemption is how we think about God's faithfulness to his people despite the curves that life throws them. 
So we begin our story in Bethlehem. Kids, who else uh, was born in Bethlehem? Uh, no, none of the children are paying attention to me right now. Come on, teenagers. Come on, teenagers. Who was born in Bethlehem? Yes, right back there. The, you're exactly right. Good job. Give that kid a cracker or a jelly or a, a little hand. Good job. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was going through some tough times. Um, it was in the middle of some economic strain. Ruth begins by uh, reminding us in Ruth chapter one, verse one, that it came to pass in the days when judges ruled that there was famine in the land. Times were tough. The economics were hard. Food was scarce. Things were expensive. In addition to the economic strain, there was this political and social chaos that was going on. Uh, it mentioned Judges, and Judges is the book that comes right before Ruth, and Judges ends with this sort of semi-ominous passage. In Judges 21, 25, it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel. And what did they do? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So, a little political chaos, little economic strain, and then into this story, we get sort of a, a, racial, um, a racial dynamic. We've got the Israelites who are living in Bethlehem, and then across the Jordan Valley and across the river is Moab. Moab sits where Jordan sits right now, so pretty close. Um, Israelites and Moabs, you can read more about how they started when you look at the book uh, or the story of Lot and how he escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not a pretty picture. It is not a family-friendly uh, story, um, but it gives you some idea that there was some tension and um, disdain between the two groups. So the video did a great job of sort of giving a little bit of an overview, but I'm gonna to touch on some things the video didn't. There was famine in Bethlehem, so Naomi and her family moved from Bethlehem to Moab. There, Naomi's husband and sons die. So Naomi returns to Bethlehem 10 years later with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who was a Moabite. Now the family property has been sold and Naomi has no money to buy it back. So she goes back to Bethlehem in poverty and need. Her husband's name and legacy is doomed to be lost and forgotten and only a person known as a kinsman redeemer can repurchase the property and return it to the family. So, because there is no money and no resources, Ruth has to go to work, and she goes to work to provide food, we read about that, in the field of Boaz, who we soon discover is a near relative of her husband. And, and when Naomi finds this out, I wanna call her Naomi. When Naomi finds this out, she puts together what I personally consider a sort of questionable scheme to uh, get Boaz to become the kinsman redeemer and marry Ruth. And Ruth does what her mother-in-law asks. And thankfully, Boaz acts very honorably, um, but he reminds Ruth that there's a hitch. You see, Boaz is not the closest relative. And so he has to find the closest relative who is legally the kinsman redeemer and, uh, and contract with him to transfer that, that responsibility onto Boaz. So he goes to the city gates, and lo and behold, um, Dwayne was talking yesterday at Farmer's Market, um, just by happenstance, uh, that's how God works, 
Lo and behold, at the city gates, Boaz providentially encounters this, this near relatives and negotiates for the man to relinquish his rights. And Boaz contracts to redeem the land and marry Ruth. Happy, 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 Ruth and Boaz marry and have a son who will be the legal heir to Naomi's property, thus carrying on her husband's name and legacy. So, as we said, in every good Hallmark story, uh, you know, you set up this, this, this little scenario here. Um, but in every one of those, there, there's a point of tension. There's a misunderstanding. There's some confusion. Someone said this and someone interpreted it this way. And so now they're trying to understand each other again, what's really going on. And, and in this story, we have the same thing. There, there are these three misunderstandings. Um, and I'm going to call them lies because they're complete untruths. But they complicate the story a little bit. The three lies are this, that God is angry with Naomi. And the second one is that God is punishing Naomi. And the third is that God doesn't care about Naomi. Now we're gonna personalize those. We're gonna personalize those and, and ask ourselves these questions. Have we ever believed that God is angry with me? Have we ever believed that God is punishing me? Have we ever believed that God doesn't care about my life? Have we ever fallen prey to those questions? It's easy to fall into the trap that God is angry with me. You know, like Naomi, we make decisions that do not end up well. These decisions oftentimes are based out of fear and they end us up in a worse place than where we started. And we can assume that the results of our decision-making are really God demonstrating his anger to us, um, you know, Naomi abandoned Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, you may know. That's what Bethlehem means, and it was in the land of promise. And in the middle of that troublesome time, she abandons this place of promise to go to a new place that she thought would provide bread and maybe more promise for the future of her family, and it didn't end up well, and Naomi has to be thinking is it something I've done? In fact, I think she did think that. Ruth 1.13, when they come back into town, the ladies of Bethlehem say, is it Naomi? We've not seen you for 10 years. And Naomi says, no, my daughters. It is, oh no, no, this is when, this verse, verses 1.13 is when uh, she's trying to get her daughters-in-law to go back. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to go, we don't want to go. And Ruth says, and Naomi says, no, no, daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi was convinced that God was angry and was making her suffer. But the psalmist reminds us that uh, though God, God does get angry, he does, but his anger is tempered with love and compassion. Remember this, 103, verse eight, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And if God is angry, if we believe that, we can also believe that God is punishing us. You know, Pam is not here this morning. I don't recall really making my parents, I was a disappointment and an irritation, but I don't recall them ever getting angry at me that often or else I blocked it. But there's this story, and when you see Pam, ask her about it, about the time she made dad so mad that he slammed down his study Bible onto the coffee table, and it split into like the curtain in the temple when Jesus was crucified. Yeah, it was that bad. It was that bad. She had the ability to really 
make her parents angry. <laughs> Kids, when you make your parents angry, it is very safe to assume that there may be some punishment coming your way. Punishment looks different. There's a little spanking. Maybe you're confined to your room. Maybe you're grounded. Maybe you get your toys taken away. Um, but Naomi thought that God was punishing her by taking away the things that she loved. In Ruth 1, verses 20 and 21, she says, don't call me Naomi. And this is when she goes into the village and the ladies are saying, is it Naomi? And she says, no, no, no. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full. I had all the things I loved, but the Lord has brought me back empty. He's taken away everything. Widowed and childless in this room, there are some who have gone through some very tragic things. Um, and in Naomi's case, I think in our case, we look and go, if we had only done it differently, would we be in this position? Would God be punishing us? But Psalm 103, verses 10 and 12 reminds us, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When I'm traveling out west on those long stretches of road, I like to find a point on the horizon. So I'm traveling west, I'm looking at the western horizon. I'm going, when I get there, how long is it gonna take? So I, so I sort of set a time for myself and I get there. But what happens when you get to that point? We, the, the western horizon is still further out there. You can follow the western horizon until you circle the globe and end up coming in from, from the east right back over here into this parking lot. All that is to say is that God throws our transgressions, throws our guilt that far. We can never, we can never catch up to it. The third lie is this, that my life doesn't matter to him. And it plays out this way. If God doesn't care about my life, then, then I gotta take care of things myself. You may know where I'm leading with this. In Ruth chapter three, verse one, uh, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you. I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. When Naomi realizes where Ruth is working and who she's working for, she cooks up this scheme to get both of their futures secured. Now the future is unknown and so it's wise to prepare for the future. We all, we all do that. Um, but uh, Naomi sort of puts Ruth and Boaz in this position where she may be forcing their hand. I'm not settled on that interpretation in my own head yet, but just a simple reading of the text makes me scratch my head and go, this seems to be pretty clear about what Naomi is trying to do here. But, but Boaz is honest and upfront, and that's always a good thing. He acts honorably, he acts responsibly, he saves Ruth's reputation, and as we will see, he will save Naomi's inheritance. When we believe that God doesn't care about our lives, we can panic and start to make other plans. But God does care, and God does have a plan. You know, Naomi made her schemes, but God has a purpose. We will see from this story that uh, although Boaz was not first in line, and there's another one there waiting outside, um, God is already providing for that. So Boaz, the next day, he moves quickly, uh, while Boaz, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, Ruth 4, verse 1. 
Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Notice the difference between this encounter and the one the night before. This one is not under the suspicious cover of darkness. I'm not trying to pull a quick one. This is in the full light of day, right where everyone can see what's going on there at the city gates with lots of witnesses. And that's how God works. God brings all this stuff together. Um, Lo and behold, the King James says, to indicate sort of the miraculous and providential nature of this happenstance event. Lo and behold, the very man who could unravel all of this inheritance legal stuff walks by. It's a divine happenstance. You know, it's fine to make plans, but leave room for God because God cares about your life. He's not going to leave you just to, just to the fates. You can read the account, but in the end, Ruth and Boaz are free to marry, and Naomi has her inheritance back. Just a reminder that God cares about our lives. Psalm 103.6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. God saw Naomi in her need for a protector and a redeemer, and he provided it first in Ruth and then in Boaz, and then we'll see later in that young little grandson. Whenever you get to thinking your life doesn't matter to God, remind yourself of verse 15. Psalm 103, verse 15 says, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place is remembered no more. We've had two funerals this week. They were wonderful men of God. But in 20 years' time, they will be forgotten. That's depressing a little bit, isn't it? But here's this reminder. But from everlasting to everlasting, everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. I love that. Yeah, life is short, very temporary, and our time here is quickly forgotten, but not to God. God remembers us, and he will be faithful not just to us, but to our children's children. Now, although Naomi had a hard time seeing how God was being faithful to her, no one else around her did. In fact, the ladies of the town at the end could see very clearly how God had been faithful to Naomi. In Ruth 4, verses 14 and 15, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Boaz and Ruth have gotten married, and as so often happens, there's a little baby born. These women said, may he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Better to you than seven sons. Through it all, God had not abandoned Naomi. Think about this. When Naomi was packing up her things and her husband's things and her kids' things, putting them on the wagon and heading from Bethlehem over to Moab. God was already preparing two little girls in Moab to be the wives of her two sons. And though she thought she was returning empty-handed with nothing, God was 
prospering Boaz. Indeed, the whole little town of Bethlehem, that famine was long gone and they were back better than ever. Boaz was wealthy. God was creating wealth in Boaz so he could redeem Naomi's lost property. Naomi thought she had to scheme to get a husband for Ruth, but I'm telling you what, that first day that Ruth picked up that little basket and left the house and went looking for some work, God had already prepared a field. God had already prepared Boaz. God had already prepared her little path for her little feet to scamper down. And when she turned into that field, it was in accordance with God's plan that he'd set up a long time before. There was a match made long before Naomi got that little glimmer in her eye. And while she thought that she would be forever childless and her husband's memory forgotten, Boaz and Ruth give her a son, the one who would carry on the family name and in due time take ownership of her late husband's land. Baby Obed became the family redeemer. You know, we're gonna take communion here in just a moment. You guys pick these up on your way in. If you didn't, you can run out there real quick. We'll make time for you. Just such an odd little way to do communion. Um, It's pretty simple, by the way. You just peel the first tab back and you've got this wafer that someone uh, compared to styrofoam popcorn. Styrofoam popcorn is tastier than what you will put in your mouth this morning. (laughs) And then the cup of juice is right there below it. But despite the sort of the weirdness of this packaging, it is still a reminder that we have a redeemer. What was lost through our sin, through our disobedience, through our wrongheadedness or our rashness has been purchased back to us through Jesus. You know, we sold ourselves, but Jesus brought us back. So these elements remind us of his love and his faithfulness to us. So peel the first layer back and we'll take the bread. So this bread is a reminder of the physical life that he gave up for us. And then carefully pull back the tab on the other one. And this juice is a reminder of that covenant promise, the same covenant promise that those first people experienced when they walked into the land that God had given them. We are, we're heirs of that promise too. Just as Naomi had a promise attached to her, we have a promise attached to us. And this cup reminds us that God will not give up on us. So God is not angry. Look around. He is compassionate and he's gracious. Have you seen that during these last 15 weeks? And God is not punishing us despite what you may read on Facebook. Instead, God is surrounding us with love and tender mercies. And God does not abandon us. If I'm being honest, (laughs) I've enjoyed these 15 weeks. I've seen God filling my life with good things and distancing me from things that distract and take me away from him. He's renewing, he's restoring and redeeming our lives. And for that, we say, thank you, God. Let's pray.
Father, this morning we thank you for the ways that you're using our past and our present to prepare us for our future. Father, help us to not listen to the lies of the enemy, but remind ourselves of these truths. You love and you care for us in every way, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, band, I'm going to invite the rest of you guys up. Um, And as we do, we're going to just read the first part of that psalm once more again. I got to think to myself, you know, that that the, the... That reminder that the women gave to Naomi there at the end um, about how God had been faithful to her. I hope it charged and changed her life in some way. I I think it did. Because I I think that Naomi told this story to Obed. And I think Obed told this story to Jesse. And then I think that Jesse passed the story of Naomi and God's faithfulness to her down to David. And then I think that when David wrote Psalm 103, he had to be thinking, man, when life gets tough, remember how faithful God was to my great-grandmother. And he wrote these words. Let's read them together. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, And forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sin and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And who satisfies your desires with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. How gracious God is to give us everything 